0: This episode is sponsored in part by the 2021 Annual Conference of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 15, 14, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. As always, it's a pleasure to have you listening. This episode is an interview that I did with Dr. Joe Miller, who's a BCC Council member. He also serves as Counseling Pastor at Canyon Hills Community Church in Botha, Washington. Joe is the Japan Coordinator for Overseas Instruction and Counseling. In this interview, we got to get to know Joe a little bit, hear about his life, how the Lord brought him into counseling ministry, and many of the lessons that he's learned through that ministry. One of my favorite things is just hearing actually the people involved in bringing Joe to biblical counseling, and it was a good reminder that we're not alone. Uh, God doesn't just drop us into this, but he often uses people in our lives in various ways to bring us to the ministries that he's given us. I hope that you enjoy the episode, you're really encouraged by it, and emboldened to continue in the ministry that you're doing. Thanks again for listening. Well, Joe Miller, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast today. Would you please introduce yourself to our audience? Tell us a little bit about your family, current ministry roles.
1: Yes, my name is Joe Miller, and I am gratefully married. Thankfully married to Tara. Um, And I have four children. Uh, My oldest, his name is Huntington, as in Huntington Beach. And then I have three daughters, Dakota, Sky, and Liberty. And um, we are right in the middle of late teens to early teens parenting. So you can just sort of fill in the blanks from there.
0: Well, I'm sure we, myself and our audience will be praying for you for sure. And uh, where are you located and what are you, what do you do with most of your time?
1: So currently um, we are living in Seattle, Washington. We're in a suburb called Mukilteo. And I'm currently a full-time uh, pastor of counseling at Canyon Hills Community Church in Bothell, Washington. And uh, what do I do with my time? A lot of time does go to ministry. <laughs> and yet we do try to find time just as a family, whether we are binging on um, Call the Midwife. Believe it or not, Joe watches Call the Midwife. And um, my daughters had to twist my arm to actually join that, that weekly sort of event. And we also spend a lot of time just getting to explore the Washington area. So don't believe everything you hear about Washington. There are beautiful days here. And there's a reason why it's called the Evergreen State, because it is green. And those of you living in California and you're tired of the dark and brown landscape (laughs) of Southern Cal, come up to Washington for a while.
0: Well, I know lots of people in Southern in California are leaving and moving to other places. So maybe maybe you'll get some further up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, well, Joe, we're taking some time with uh, with the podcast now to get to know people. And you serve on the BCC Council, and you, like you said, you you pastor at Canyon Hills Bible Church. And for those who don't know, it's a pretty large church with a significant counseling ministry. And you guys just hosted on your own uh, uh, your own. Biblical Counseling Conference in early 2021. You want to, just before we dive into your personal history, give everybody a little update on what that was like, how it went, and uh, just what it was like to hold a conference post-COVID. Yeah, we were uh, actually last year, May of
1: 2020, we wanted to host our first annual uh, Biblical Counseling uh, Conference and unfortunately, we were not able to, just like many other ministries. But God was kind to us and opened the doors for us to be able to host it. So uh, we had to work around the protocols that the state was recommending. But we had in excess of 400 and I believe 50 people that participated, and then we also had a couple countries that were participating through live stream, which was a huge blessing for us. One of which is um, Japan was a country that uh, participated through the live stream. And that's a personal investment of mine since I'm the uh, Japan coordinator for overseas instruction in counseling. So it was a neat way to be able to continue the momentum of training um, in Japan. So that was a neat opportunity for them to see what biblical counseling looks like, sounds like, and just for them to even see an American church. Um, Canyon Hills is a large church. It's a church in excess of 4,000 people. And our, our biblical counseling ministry has been greatly blessed through the leadership of Dr. Ben uh, Marshall. Uh, ben, has, ben has just had a phenomenal vision for counseling and God has greatly blessed his vision over the last 13 years. To the point where we have in excess of 50 active counselors, um, but we're we're pursuing uh, attempting to get at least 100 counselors online Mm -hmm. in the next two years because of the great need for counseling in the Pacific Northwest. Everybody around America has seen what has gone on in Seattle and just sees the need for biblical sufficiency based soul care. And so we are actively pursuing training people to be able to meet that need.
0: Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And I had been on the podcast, uh, a while ago talking about the topic of his dissertation. Uh, so if you want to check that out, our audience, you can go back in our archives and look for that Ben Marshall, uh, and Ben wrote on the topic of counseling, uh, uh, former sex offenders. Basically he's had a ministry in the prison system there to, to, to convicted pedophiles and it's, um, not a topic that a lot of people want to talk about, and so I was really interested to hear hear how we got into that. Um, so, so tell us. We'll rewind quite a uh, a bit back. Uh, tell us where you grew up, Joe. How did you? Where'd you grow up? What were you like as a kid?
1: Okay. Well, whew, all right. Um, buckle up. So <laughs> I was uh, I was actually born in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, my parents grew up in the Eaton, Colorado area. Um, my dad attended, uh, oh, it would have been uh, Colorado State University in Fort Collins and then um, ended up getting his master's degree at, uh, at uh, Nebraska State and then came back to Fort Collins for his PhD. And his first job um, since he graduated with his PhD was with the old Carnation Company. And Carnation had a research lab out in Van Nuys, California, and as a result, we, mom and dad packed up the bags, took the family out to Southern California. And I grew up in the San Fernando Valley and specifically wow. the Granada Hills area
0: okay.
1: and loved it. It was a great time uh, of life. Um, it, that was the best. That was just like the classic Southern California upbringing, 70s and 80s. It was just a great place to grow up. And I spent really all my time um, playing baseball, Little League, uh, Pony, Colt, uh, High School Baseball. That was my life uh, into my late teens. My dad was um, my best friend, um, was not a believer at the time, but um, in his mid 60s came to Saving Faith and now is in the presence of the Lord. And I'm super grateful for that. Yeah. The Lord showed his kindness to my father, but my father was my best friend, my baseball coach, and we just had a a tremendous life in California. My mom, on the other hand, was our, really was our spiritual matriarch. She was the one that made sure uh, we went to church. And so, um, as soon as mom... Uh, pulled into the San Fernando uh, Valley area. She was busy while dad was busy finding a home. Mom was busy finding us a church and dad was never opposed to making sure we got the church. And mom had enough sense to eventually uh, direct us towards a great church in, in the Valley. And I grew up there. And yet, despite all the great teaching, this is the amazing thing I didn't come to saving faith until I was 18 and I was at a college career camp in the San Bernardino mountains called the uh, forest forest home. Mm-hmm. And at the last session of that week, uh, the keynote speaker was unpacking the horrors of hell, mm-hmm. literally the horrors of hell. And I'm like, that's me. I deserve that. I am in big trouble and yet, graciously unpack the gospel, and really focused on the performance of Christ, and not the performance of Joe, to be able to receive this free gift. And so I came to saving faith, and then the rest was really sort of history. Um, I attended UCLA, got my undergrad, and then after that, I ended up uh, moving to Denver for my first job. Well, that's
0: that's a great great testimony of your. Just the Lord's faithfulness, like you said, through your mom and through others. Did you have any siblings growing up?
1: I have an older brother. His name is Sam, and uh, Sam pursued a law enforcement, so he was a law enforcement officer in Los Angeles. So you can imagine what that
0: was like. Wow. Yeah, yeah, pretty incredible. Where did you? Where did your mom end up finding a church down there in Granada Hills? Well,
1: yeah, it's great. So we started off with um, Granada Hills Community Church, and then we ended up over at Grace Community Church um, Dr. John MacArthur. And that, uh, eventually led me, uh, sort of full circle to go back to, um, my home church and attend the Master seminary where I received my MDiv. That's
0: great. That's great. So you, uh, growing up playing baseball, sound like that was your life attending church, going to baseball. And then you, the Lord brings you to saving faith around 18. What did you study in college at UCLA? uh
1: business political science i had no idea what i wanted to do <laughs> i mean i came off i came off the point where i could no longer play baseball um and i had to figure out what am i going to do with the rest of my life and if i had to like recategorize the order it was like joe sports joe then the church and then everything else joe hmm. and but everything else changed i realized um, my, first, my first freshman year uh, in college that I had to have a plan. What was the plan? And it took a while to figure that out. And even after graduating, I was sort of just throwing resumes onto the wall, anything that looked appealing. And yet um, it was a food service company that uh, provided me an opportunity for my first real job out in Denver. And so I pursued that.
0: That's great. And where did where did Tara come into the picture? How did you meet your wife and what was that like for you? Oh, okay. So
1: I'm in Denver. I'm a single guy. I spent a good seven years just focusing in on my career. Um, I liked the fact that I was making money and I could do whatever I want. And and I plugged into a local church and I love doing short-term missions. And so that really afforded me to do those kinds of trips whenever I really wanted, but it was through the kindness of God where, um, not only being in food service, which took a super, super shy kid. Now, when I say shy, painfully shy, my first Sunday school teacher still alive, Sarah Amstutz. And to this day, if you were to ask, you know, Sarah, Sarah, what was Joe like? Joe's a miracle. She'll say Joe's a miracle. Not really, not by the definition, but she would say Joe's a miracle. I could not get him to participate in Sunday school. He would hide in the corner. And that was, that was Joe for, for many, many, many years, but then through food service and having to do cold calls and having to talk to people, you know, in the eye, and then eventually a college pastor who said, I see some some gifts in you. Would you like to start teaching a little bit? And I'm like, you got to be crazy. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> no, I think he could do it. Let's pray about it. And I found myself doing some teaching within our college group. And just over time, God just started growing that, that taste, that love for unpacking the word of God. And so I was busy doing that. And then one Sunday, I was, I was hosting a, a small group table. So on Sunday mornings, our college career group would have teaching and then we break up into our tables and I was hosting a table. It's about five minutes into that time a small group. I hear the doors open up and here comes this girl walking in. I'm like, Oh my word. I'm like looking out the corner of my eye and I'm like, I will please Jesus send her to my table because I was sort of at that point. It's like, when's Joe going to get hooked up? When's Joe going to finally start pursuing a serious uh, relationship? And, and she does, she comes to the table, she sits down and you know, I'm, I'm acting really cool, right. Being the professional and asking questions. And then we were, it's time for us to end. So I'm I'm praying. Everybody's eyes are closed We're praying. I'm just rifting eloquently with that closing prayer, but I didn't hear her get up. And so by the time I said, amen, I'm like turning to like introduce myself and she's walking out the door. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh no, Jesus, please. And so I had to be cool. I didn't want to rush to look like I was desperate But by the time I got out in the foyer, she was gone. So like a year and a half later, a friend of mine um, asked me, Hey, could you arrange for some food for a new year's Eve party for our college career ministry? And I said, sure, no problem. I'll arrange some food, come over and pick it up. And um, so this gal who was a friend of mine, she, she came and, And the uh, receptionist downstairs at the office building where I was working said, Hey, you've, you've got a couple of people here. Um, They want to say, Hey, to you. So I came downstairs and the one gal who's, who was part of this college career ministry was with another gal. And lo and behold, sovereignty of God. It was (laughs) Tara.
0: The one who almost got away. Right.
1: And so (laughs) normally I'd say, you know, let me get some food for you guys. Here you go. I'll talk to you later. I'm like, how'd you guys like a tour? So I was taking the slow boat, right. And trying to build relationship. Um, That's Hey, Dr. Wayne Vanderweer, what's our, what's our, our methodology as far as, as our process model, number one, build a relationship. So I started diving into building relationship and eventually um, I had an opportunity to have a really neat conversation with her. And one thing led to another and and we got married two years later, and and the one thing I told her, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm I am definitely um, receiving a call to shepherd the flock, and so I want to want to go to seminary and I want to be trained. And she turned and said, I'm, I'm all in. I want that too. And the neat thing, just to have a little bit of time, Tara um, is a recovering psychologist. She studied. Um, marriage and family systems in, in child systems at USC and was practicing psychology in Long Beach and saw that there was no hope in any of the theories that she was peddling to her clients. And it was because of that, that the frustration constantly going back to her professors saying none of this works. And all they would say is just keep talking to them, just keep talking to them. And then, and this is prior to her salvation, she read a book called Counseling by John MacArthur, hmm. and she read it in a night. Oh,
0: wow. She just started reading the first book, <laughs> and
1: reading and reading and reading and reading, because she was so desperate. And then last page, she just said, this is what is missing. But how do I get this? So and she that, read
0: she read that before she was a believer.
1: Yes, hmm. she was so desperate, and she realized this is what is missing, and that was that was one of one of the many sort of elements and variables that brought her to saving faith in Christ.
0: So she, so, how did she end up at a church in Denver listening to you pray uh, when she was a, a psychologist in Long Beach? How did, good
1: question. So. Um, Tara was, was married prior to salvation. She got married to uh, a guy that she met in college and they decided we're going to move out to LA. I'm going to pursue my master's degree. And he said, you know, he's going to pursue an acting degree or an acting career. Sorry. And, um, so while he was doing that, she was studying one thing led to another and they were living in Melrose. Um, he was getting into a crowd that was, it was not a great community. One thing led to another too much partying, probably too much drinking. And, uh, it ended up in a really, really horrific end to a marriage. And that was one of the reasons that she was desperate. Nothing was working. Not even what she thought was true and effective was ministering to her heart. Hmm. And so, and so how did she, how did she come across um, this book? She actually visited a couple churches while she was in L.A., one of which was Grace Church. And she saw this book and, and she went through the, the bookshack and saw this book on counseling and said, what is this all about? Buys it, reads it. And that was one of the stepping stones of, of her coming to Saving Faith. And then one night during a pretty bad argument between her and her husband, uh, a couple of her friends living in the same apartment complex said, you've got, you've got to leave. You've got to go home. This is not safe for you. And they drove her back to Colorado and um, her mom took her in with her, with her stepdad. And her mom said, there's two things I want you to do. I want you to eat and I want you to sleep. And then I pray that you'll, start attending church with me. And, and then all that. And then she started reading this book on counseling one evening and it just ignited everything. And I'm grateful for that because now she's my wife, she's my partner in ministry. And uh, if it wasn't for Tara, um, and I know Tara is just part of God's grace in my life. Mm -hmm. I would not be where I'm at today.
0: The 2021 annual conference of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors is coming up October 4th through the 6th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, Church, arise! Reclaiming a Culture of Care is the title of this year's conference. You can find out more or register by going to biblicalcounseling.com. You can register to attend the conference in person, or you can join virtually this year as well. I look forward to attending the conference in person, and I hope to see you there. So, tell me, uh, I'm in. Tr- that's a Fascinating story of God's grace in her life too. And bringing, bringing you guys together. How, uh, how did you get into counseling? And I'm curious if it was anything to do with her background too.
1: I had, had everything to do <laughs> with her. Uh, of course, God's grace, right? Yeah. And yeah. so great story. So I'm, I'm a master seminary grad, right? I am, I am, I am trained. I studied myself, you know, and I show myself approved and, Now I'm just going to go into a church and I'm just going to preach the word and people are obligated to get their lives. Right. And all I have to do is preach. Okay. There's part of that is true. Part of that is true. However, the one thing I wasn't counting on was this consistently on my office door. Hey, Pastor (laughs) Joe, do you have a few minutes and drugs, alcohol, addiction, pornography, Uh, suicidal tendencies my kids shipwrecked Mm -hmm. Uh, my my husband my wife I caught them in adultery Mm -hmm. pastor Joe what's your words of wisdom and yes second Timothy 3 tells us that the word of God is sufficient for every aspect of life absolutely positively true but what was missing for me was was a means and a method in which to to Put a system together of teaching and discipleship and counsel that I can unpack these truths, identify heart idols, and then um, what are are the curators from the gospel and from scripture that I can bring to bear in the heart of those people. And I was just growing more and more frustrated. And my wife during that time had enough sense to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm attending Nank. You should come to Nank. You should join. These people know what's going on, Joe. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I've got an, I've got an MDiv. I'm a trained pastor. I don't need that. So I, I just did all the studying putting, I need to do. Oh yeah. Right. I <clears throat> kept pushing back so hard on that, but I, I got to a point where I was so frustrated and Tara's like, okay, this is what you need to do. I mean, she's just been a great counselor for me. Mm-hmm. Call Stuart Scott, call Dr. Scott. Um, when you were at masters, um, he was always a great source of counsel for you called Stuart Scott. So I called Dr. Scott, Dr. Scott. I love preaching. I love pastoral ministry, but I'm getting really frustrated. I I don't know what to do with these people. And he said, Joe, but just, just come, come to Southern. He was at Southern at that time and said, come to Southern, just get your D-man. I'm like, I don't want to do school again. <laughs> I, when I finished that master's and I'm done. They said, no, 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 do it. Seriously. Do it. You, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. So I talked to Tara and, and we pray about it and we just decided we're going to pull the trigger on this. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm pursuing a D-man in biblical counseling, uh, just a fantastic cohort that we had. A um, couple of key guys that, that were really influential and just, Really an encouragement for me, Keith Palmer, Mike nassy You probably know these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, really influential. Great great role models for me. They don't know that, but they are. And one thing happened during one of my cohorts there. A guy comes in and he's a, he's a guest speaker. And so Dr. Scott introduces him. This guy comes in. I'm like, this guy looks like Santa Claus. Lo and behold, <laughs> this guy introduces himself as Dr. Wayne Vanderweer. And so he starts unpacking what he does with overseas instruction and counseling mm. and starts talking to us about opportunities for training overseas. And I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by that. And so I come home and my wife says, well, how was your week of classes and the cohort? I says, great and awesome. And you won't believe who I, I ran into someone and the ministry is so intriguing. I'm thinking we might want to do this, you know, maybe later on in life. And she said, well, what's this guy's name? And I said, I, I can't remember his name, but he has something to do with like training people overseas for biblical counseling training. And she's like, is his name Dr. Wayne? And I'm like, yeah, it is a matter of fact. Oh, it's, it's overseas instruction and counseling, isn't it? I said, yeah. She <laughs> says, I introduced you to this guy like five years ago. And you said you want to have nothing to do with it. And so, lo and behold, I'm now doing full time ministry as a biblical counselor. I'm a Japan coordinator with OIC, and my wife was years and steps ahead uh, where I needed to be. But that what that's what makes her a great helpmate, and God was just kind to me. And still, yeah.
0: is. no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's a that's a really. Uh, Great journey. And one of the things one of the reasons I love doing these interviews and and hearing everybody's stories, everybody has such a different story of how they come to Saving Faith, how the Lord draws them into counseling ministry, what they learn, all those different things. And I, I hope our audience learns that it you don't have to be this cookie cutter person and have this exact background. Um, the Lord can take anybody and use anybody for his for his work. So to tell me your I'm intrigued, too, to hear your answers to these questions because of the, the interesting aspect of OIC and, and working in uh, Japan, as well as the pastoral ministry you had. But what are, what are, what's one of the hardest le- lessons um, or hardest things you've faced in counseling ministry?
1: So some of the hardest, I mean, the consistent difficulty in, in ministry and especially in, in biblical counseling is knowing that the word of God is sufficient. That if somebody is saved and dwelt by the, by the spirit of God, there is help and hope available to them. And the challenge of seeing someone who by, by the profession of faith and By the testimony of others, seeing that this person is saved, but they are in a deep-seated season of sin. And everything that is being presented to them from the Word of God is being rejected. And just the encouragement of them considering um, the superiority and the beauty and the value of Christ over their heart idol right now, or multiple idols. That's the difficult thing of knowing that, that you you have the means through the word of God to introduce people to restoration and redemption, and yet they reject it. And you find yourself having to say these words. I think for now counseling is over. That's the difficulty of what we do. Um, yes. The word of God is sufficient to save and sufficient to sanctify, but there is there is part of man's moral responsibility to respond to that word as, as an act of worship and bowing in knee and yielding to the Lordship of Christ and, and watching people say no to that and then seeing their life continue to tumble out of control. That's, that's the hardest thing. It happens, happens more often than I, than I'm really comfortable with. And I know I can't control that and I know it has nothing to do yeah with the failure of the word at all. It's seeing the sinfulness of sin, the sin sickness that, that is having its way in God's people.
0: One conversation I had when I was starting my PhD, because I wanted to do studies in the efficacy of biblical counseling, not because we need it, but I thought, man, it'd be a helpful tool in our tool belt. If we could show, show people, Hey, this, not only do we do that, we do this because God's word says it to do it, but it also works. And somebody wisely said, you know, sometimes it won't be effective because you're not a good counselor <laughs> sometimes it won't be effective because the person is not cooperating with the counsel like what you're talking about there and then sometimes it's not going to be effective because God's choosing not to sanctify that person at that time and i was like that's a really yeah hmm. that that's a those are really important things to be on the lookout for and i i agree when we are the watchman on the wall warning people or Um, crying out the road ahead is going to be treacherous for you. And they continue to walk down it. That is, that is a painful thing. What do you do when, how do you take those cares, that concern, those hard hardships to the Lord and continue to press forward when you have people who are just rejecting the the godly counsel?
1: And it's, I'm called to, To just be faithful to preach the word, right, and and to preach it accurately and to rightly divide it, and that's where I've landed. Um, You know, one of the first reasons that you mentioned why counseling is not effective is: (laughs) are you just a bad counselor? Do you have a uh, a a process model that is not biblically fixed on the word? Um, So my My fallback when I see counseling failing is, am I unpacking every truth that I know can minister to that heart? And am I doing it in a way that is gracious and loving and patient, but is it clear? And am I giving examples and evidences of why this will work? If you just embrace this truth, if I'm doing those things well, then I am able at the end of the day to say, I've, I've honored the Lord um, in my ministry, but I have to, at the end of the day, yield to his plans and purposes. And uh, a, a godly man once said this to me, he said, Joe, when it has to do with preaching and teaching and shepherding and counseling, um, there are times we get fr- where we get frustrated and we're, and we're wondering it." it is our preaching and is our shepherding ministry, is it effective? It just doesn't seem like it, you know, the emotive, it doesn't feel like it, but he said these kind words and he said, Joe, truth and time walk hand in hand. You just sometimes have to give God enough time to reveal what he's doing. Hmm. And that has proven to be true by when I, when I'm realizing I just don't know what's going on and, and I can say that I am being faithful in, in, in unpacking the truths of God's word and faithful and loving people well. And yet I I still don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't understand why the counseling or the discipleship is not working well or not bearing fruit. I'm just telling myself, give God time and and he will reveal what's going on. So I, I, that, that has certainly been a truth that I continue to mean. Those are into good, good
0: words. I mean, just a reminder to to reflect and, and actually analyze our counsel and say, am I actually being faithful? Am I doing this? And then if we are to trust, trust the Lord, trust His providence, His timing, and and I, you mentioned in there briefly just the call, that this is what we're called to do, and that's, right. that's going to— help us persist in, in counseling ministry. Uh, what are some other things, like, what are the, the things that bring you joy and excitement in counseling that really, um, just fire you up and keep you moving forward too?
1: Um, what I love is, you know, once, when somebody comes into, to my office, it's because, um, the preaching uh, from the pulpit is not having its way life group and that close discipleship relationship in a smaller group. So our life groups are like our small group ministries here at mm-hmm. Canyon Hills. And that is not having its way. And, and people are saying, we think you would benefit from, from counseling. So our counseling is critical counseling where we're not seeing discipleship working well. At, at this time in this person's life. And so they come in and we're unpacking, identifying um, what the idols of the heart are, and then bringing the curative from the word of God. What I find great joy in is not just seeing the, the heart idols identified that person that's, that is agreeing. Yep. That's, that's my deal. That's the thing that keeps, that keeps tripping me up. That is a thing that keeps distracting me away from the, the beauty and the value and the efficacy of Christ and Christ alone. And once they have identified that, we've brought that gospel curative, you know, making sure that their salvation is, is legit and proven and then identifying those, those curatives from scripture that, that helped that person put off that idol of the heart. And we see a consistency there at Canyon Hills. We just don't want to drop them out of the counseling room immediately. We all, we then want to start developing a momentum in sanctification and discipleship. And so what I love to do is start to process a discipleship. Um, if, if there's anything that, that I can do long term outside of preaching God's word and and providing critical care and counseling I love discipleship um, in fact that's what I invested in in writing about with my demon project um, back here and you can't really see him I have a picture of uh, Richard Baxter a 16th century Puritan and my my project was on the Um, the efficacy of, of a Richard Baxter approach to discipleship in a 21st century church setting. And I've, I love discipleship and I love utilizing a systematic theology and just helping people understand those truths that help them to not only grow in their knowledge of who God is, but grow in the knowledge of, of how they can become more and more like the savior. So that's, that is, that's my chocolate cake, right? That's my great cup of coffee. That's the thing that I just geek out of. And whenever that opportunity uh, presents itself, I dive into it. I dive into
0: it. Mm, that's good. Uh, what would you say, any, any counseling, any mistakes you've had in the past, obviously not violating confidence or anything like that, but maybe a hard time that you went through something you, you, where you blew it in counseling, and then what did you learn from that? How did you grow
1: um, I think one of the things that that I've learned, and I have to, I have to be aware as a, not just as a biblical counselor, but as a follower of Christ, as a brother in Christ, but also as a shepherd of Christ's flock. I have to be sensitive to the fact that whatever an individual is struggling struggling with, whether it's sin or suffering. I do have to be sympathetic. I may not understand why they're struggling, why they're fearful, why they're anxious. Part of me wants to do sort of a Bob Newhart and say, you know, stop it, get over it and just get on with your life. Um, You've heard enough from God's word. Just do it. And that's just not the case. I, I don't have the authority and the power to do that. But the one thing I do have control over is being long-suffering and being patient with people. And I have found myself at times, especially when you're into weeks of providing soul care, just maybe not vocalizing the frustration, but people can see it in, in, in the body language and just the shortness of the way in which I'm communicating to them. And not expressing help and hope and encouragement and finding that I have gotten in the way of what the Lord is trying to do um, by that just prideful, demanding heart attitude. And as a result, um, finding myself having to go to that individual and seeking forgiveness I mean, the Lord just um, moving in my heart and saying, Joe, you're getting in the way of this process. Yes, Joe, I can do anything I want. I'm sovereign, but I'm still asking you to represent me well, right? It's just another part of, of my act of worship and, and reflecting, um, reflecting the attributes of our wonderful counselor. And I do. There are times where I fall short of that. I fall short of, of not being patient with people, not even being patient with God and how quickly he's He's moving in the hearts of his people and having to humbly go and seek forgiveness. And, and knowing that that's the right thing to do, but I shouldn't find myself having to do that. And I am today as susceptible to that, even though I've had those moments where, have allowed pride to get in the way.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, until you meet Jesus face to face, you're still going to be a sinner. So <laughs> Thank you. Uh that's yeah, that's Thank a good you. just a good word to man, I just imagine for ourselves and and hopefully you don't even have to imagine, but just seeing the benefit of um, that humility going to a counselee and, and sharing with them, like, man, I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? I, mm-hmm. I've had to do that as well, and it does take a lot. It takes divine humility to do that. But man, it, it grows that relationship so significantly and uh, grows you as a, as a, as a, as a Christian, as a, as a disciple of Christ. So, yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, <clears throat> well, we're, we're wrapping up with our time. And I like to save the last couple minutes for a segment called Two Minute Favorites. So, you ready for these questions? All right, we're going to the fast round. Yep, here we go. Uh, and what is your favorite food? Mexican. Uh, favorite word? Grace. Favorite color? Red. Favorite sport? Baseball. Favorite sports team? Go Dodger Blue. (laughs) Favorite gift you've ever received? Um,
1: Oh, wow. Favorite gift I ever received.
0: Probably
1: um, every gift my children give me to make me look cool and hip. And it's going to be some kind of Vans clothing
0: wear. All right. Favorite gift you've ever given? Oh,
1: favorite gift. uh, Probably the favorite gift I've ever given was um, the ring I gave my wife when I proposed to her.
0: Least favorite word? Woke. Favorite book of the Bible? Oh, wow.
1: Um, That's not fair. Romans? (laughs) I'll go with Romans. Definitely favorite book
0: outside of scripture
1: um, I, I my favorite book everybody knows it here Canyon Hills is uh, John Piper's God is the gospel mm.
0: favorite ice cream flavor uh, vanilla but I I have to have hot fudge with it all right favorite candy uh, Jolly
1: ranchers favorite Bible verse oh Romans 828. It has everything to do with my life, God. No matter what I think He's doing and not doing, He's working all things out for my good and for His glory. Mm.
0: If you had any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Light. If your mother were to describe you in what in one word, what word would she use? Um. So hard worker. Hard worker. All right. Well, that wraps up our time. Joe Miller, thanks so much for being with us on fifteen fourteen today. Thank you, my brother. Blessings to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.